Hi, I'm Andrea Tallison, an anti-diet intermittent fasting coach, and this is the Intuitively Intermittent Podcast. My mission is to provide women who want the health benefits of intermittent fasting with the community, resources, and coaching they need to not feel stuck on yet another diet. This podcast is one of those resources. Please be sure to seek out medical advice from a doctor or healthcare provider, as this podcast is intended for educational purposes only. Thank you for being here. Now, let's dive in. Hi, everybody. Andrea here. And on today's episode, I'm going to be continuing with some reflections on chapter one of the fourth edition of the book Intuitive Eating. The name of the chapter is The Science Behind Intuitive Eating. And tonight I will be talking about pages five through 10. There's a link to the book in the show notes. And if you want to follow along in a more meaningful way, I definitely would encourage you to check out the book. And there's also uh, a section within the Facebook group, which I will gradually be building out to include some self-guided questions as well as the opportunity for discussion. Before I dive into the book, I want to just give a couple updates on some resources that I've come across that uh, I wanted to share with you. I know I've talked in prior episodes about how my personal focus right now is really on self-care and movement, and I've talked in a prior episode as well about a resource called Kaisa Fit, K-A-I-S-A Fit, F-I-T dot com. And Kaisa recently released a new workout program that I think is really unique. It's called Start Mobility. And the thing that I like about it is that it's um, there's no up and down for like going from the floor to standing up Um, There's no floor activities at all, which for folks who have more limited abilities or um, who have difficulties with other movement programs for whatever reason, I found it really refreshing that all of the movements in the start mobility can be done either standing or using a chair. Um, And I, I don't know, I tried the... I think I tried the 30-minute version of the workout, and I enjoyed it. It really, um, it was a nice change of pace from, like, I felt like I could work out, but I also didn't need to worry about the fact that my knees were hurting that day. That was kind of where I was at. So um, it feels really accessible for anyone, uh, you know, different fitness levels and different body shapes. So if you are looking for a uh, a new opportunity for movement. I would definitely check that out and the link for that will be in the show notes. The other thing I want to revisit today before I get into the episode is I want to give you an update on my experience with the Shape of Scale. I've talked about it previously and I've been using it since the beginning of September now, so just over a month. I found myself, you know, potentially falling into some diet thinking that I think it's worth calling out. Um, for example, It's easy when I've gotten feedback that suggests that I'm either maintaining or losing a bit of weight by virtue of the color that the scale gives me, um, that it's easy for me to fall into the trap of wondering, you know, how much I could 
overdo it on junk food or sweets or whatever without causing that scale to say I'm gaining. Of course, that's not a path I want to head down, but it's been interesting to catch myself having that thought. And then there's been other days where, you know, I've woke up feeling gross or bloated or something, and then I've still gotten feedback from the scale that suggests that I'm maintaining or even uh, losing slightly. And it's been nice to recognize that it's about averages. It's not about like this day and how I'm retaining water on a given day or whatnot. And so I do feel like um, in the past where that sort of feeling of being, you know, feeling gross or whatever, that it would have been easy to fall into, you know, emotional eating patterns or anything like that. But having the feedback from my Shapa has been helpful because I think I've stayed on track with the healthier behaviors that I'm trying. And that's been good. Um, I love that I'm getting, um, feedback and feeling like what I am doing is currently working for my body. Like I, I'm taking care of my body and I'm also not restricting myself in any way, which, um, you know, I've never been in a situation where I've felt like I was potentially losing weight or increasing muscle mass or whatever without, making it into some sort of a diety thing. So that's been really positive. Um, there is, if you do want to check out the shape up, I'll put the link in the show notes along with um, a promo code. Um, my experience with it thus far has been really positive and it's, um, I'm enjoying learning how to use that tool. Okay, so now on to the book reflections. Um, I mentioned in the last episode that the chapter on the science of intuitive eating is a new addition to this particular edition of the book. It it wasn't in the prior editions. So um, if you have an older edition of the book, I definitely would encourage you to get a new new version so that you can see this. There's some really good stuff in here. And I wanted to start this episode by encouraging you to almost a bit of a a visualization, if you will. So either close your eyes or imagine, if you will, answering the following questions for me. Do you want to be more satisfied and appreciative of your body? Do you want to be more satisfied with your life? Do you want to be more optimistic? Do you want unconditional self-regard? Do you want to be more motivated to exercise for enjoyment? Do you want your eating to feel less disordered? Do you want to not buy into the thin ideal that is so pervasive? These questions are on the, um, are from, I adapted them from the list that's on the bottom of page five and the top of page six of things that have been associated with the studies uh, and findings that they've had when they've looked at people who score high in terms of their intuitive eating. These are the other things that they found, like, when I look at those questions, I'm like, yes, of course I want to have more appreciation for my body. Of course I want my eating to be less disordered. And, you know, all of those things to me feel like very positives. But when when we get to a place where we then have realize that it means that we have to give up dieting, we have to give up a focus on weight loss, I think that that reality for some is really, really scary. And I want to t- 
touch on real quick the diff- there's a you know there, there's a difference between a correlation and a causation so um, from my reading of the book it talks about these as being a correlation folks who were found to have higher scores of intuitive eating were found to have a higher unconditional self-regard or they were found to more likely exercise for enjoyment as opposed to weight loss like those are things that were um, correlated but it's not necessarily that one caused the other. So I want to just point that out. Um, I, I like to, I think part of the reason it's so scary to think about embarking on intuitive eating, knowing that, okay, we know we have to give up dieting. Great. But what does that mean? And I think Part of the reason that's so scary is because we don't exactly know where we're headed. It's like we know the general qualities, but the specifics aren't the specifics of it aren't defined. For example, it would be like me saying that I'm heading towards a sandy beach, but I actually don't have idea what continent I'm even going to land on. Um, and so, like that's that's a little frightening to think about. And then also, I think it's hard because we think of intuitive eating potentially or just you know help being healthy or having you know high wellness or however you want to think about it it's easy to fall into like an on off all or nothing sort of trap which is one of the reasons why I when I talk about intuitive eating with folks um, coaching clients or folks on the phone about from the Facebook group I like to talk about intuitive eating with a lighthouse analogy I think of intuitive eating as this lighthouse in the distance it's shining its light I can see it even if I'm sort of off you know direction a little bit it's still there I can still see it in the distance and the path to get to that lighthouse can be winding. I can make decisions that maybe pull me a little bit away from, you know, the perfect direction, but that lighthouse is still going to be there. There, um, on in the middle of page six, there was a couple of things that I thought were worth touching on. There was a study done of 500 adolescent middle school intuitive eaters, and it demonstrated in the study that trust is a key factor. And I want to read a quote from this. Um, So another key component of intuitive eating, trust, as in trusting the body's innate hunger and satiety cues. In other words, it wasn't enough to be aware of hunger and satiety cues. Intuitive eaters in this age group also trusted their bodies to tell them when and how much to eat. Given the growing demonization of food and weight stigma, cultivating trust may be a significant feature for intuitive eaters, regardless of age. I found that to be really powerful. And I found myself wondering, like, when did I first start to question my trustworthiness regarding my hunger signals and my own satiety? And I honestly, I have no idea. As long as I can remember, my relationship food was with food was skewed for some reason. I, you know, I had a dysfunctional family life. I had emotionally, verbally abusive parent. Um, I was very often turning to food for comfort. And then I guess, you know, that persisted as, um, you know, a college age student, but I don't know when my relationship with food really got out of whack because so much of my childhood was dominated by the dysfunction that was all around me. 
Um, what I recognize now, as I think about the importance of trust based on that study, I recognize now that my instinct to focus on rebuilding trust, that's why it resonates so much with me throughout this whole process I'm in. Like there are days where I'm struggling with what to eat or when to eat and I will often look at what decision feels like it's going to most rebuild trust. And when I come to that and use that as my my guidepost, um, I feel like it makes it it makes it uh, makes me feel stronger in the moment, but then also it lays the next step on that path so that I am headed, you know, ever closer to, you know, the intuitive eating lighthouse, to use that analogy again. The next study that they talk about, um, talks about one frequent concern that has come up in, um, you know, when, when I've heard conversations about intuitive eating online or in various blogs or whatnot, and, and I want to read this other quote. This quote is on the bottom of page six. They um, they assert that if people were allowed to eat whatever they wanted, it would result in unhealthy diets and weight gain. And this study, there was a study done of 350 male and female college students. And what they ended up finding were that students who had high intuitive eating scores actually had a more diverse diet that it wasn't it wasn't correlated with the amount of junk food that they ate and that their diet wasn't inherently unbalanced and so you know that concern of having um, being allowed to eat whatever they wanted that it would result in unhealthy diets and weight gain at least in with regards to the unhealthy diets that just wasn't proven with the um, with the study and incidentally they also this group of people who had the higher intuitive eating scores, they also tended to have a lower BMI. And, you know, I, I think back, like, what what would have happened to me if I had been an intuitive eater in college? Um, most of my weight gain happened, you know, like, I hit puberty, I was gaining weight associated with puberty and maturation and all that stuff. But then when I was at college, I would say that's really when I started, you know, I was dealing with social anxiety. I was dealing with pressure of a really rigorous major. Like there was a lot of stuff and food was very much a coping mechanism. And so if I had been an intuitive eater, like I wonder what impact that would have had. I, I maybe would have ended up having a lower BMI than I do right now. And like they know that people who diet, the result of dieting tends to be that, yeah, you lose weight, but then you're more likely to gain that weight back and end up at a higher weight than you were before because your body is like trying to fight back and prevent against starvation. So, you know, it's interesting to think, well, maybe, maybe I would have had a lower BMI too, if I had learned to be more intuitive with my eating at a younger age. Um, I want to I want to talk briefly, though, about that concern of unhealthy diets and weight gain and how that played out for me when I first transitioned to uh, to intuitive eating, which for me, that 
that was about two and a half years ago now, which is hard to believe. Um, My prior experience with dieting had led me to a weight that was much lower than I think my body would naturally want to be. I do think, though, that it healed insulin resistance um, and some blood sugar concerns, so that was maybe a benefit out of my dieting. But for me, I knew that the process of embarking on intuitive eating, rebuilding trust had to be the focus. Um, and part of that for me, I knew that my my problem behaviors, if you want to call them that, were you know uncontrolled eating or emotionally driven, mindless eating. Um, you know, associated with stress or just boredom or whatever the cause was, like that. Whenever I allowed myself to go there, it tended to feel like it was breaking trust. I couldn't ever stay on that path for too long because my focus on trust was so was so resolute. Um, and so I think that, like, yes, I gained weight back. I call it like, you know, a little bit of weight restoration from my extreme dieting. But I didn't, I didn't, I don't know what the right word is. Um, Like when, when no food is off limits, it's really provided me with an opportunity to assess if I really like something, right? Like I think of, you know, the things that used to be my favorite candy bars or, um, you know, favorite junk foods. And now that they're not off limits to me, they actually don't taste as good to me, which is really interesting. Like, I don't know if my palate has changed or if they just never tasted good to begin with, or maybe if, you know, healing my blood sugar concerns, maybe that has addressed it. It's really hard to say what all has happened, but more often than not, I'll try something that I used to love and I'll just, it just doesn't do it for me anymore. Um, when, when I have found myself pulled to something, you know, a specific food, whether it's like peppermint, candy cane, Hershey kisses at the holiday time, or it's like potato chips or homemade sourdough bread or ice cream or something like my, my instinct is to go out and make sure that those things are just available in the house. So then they lose their allure. And it's, it's been really neat to observe the habit or the the pattern that's happened in our house. Like we will go weeks with having a bag of our favorite potato chips in the cabinet. Um, We haven't made homemade bread anymore. And I don't, eat bread like I did when I first started this journey like that that pull has worn off there are still definitely things that I enjoy daily and I know that I would miss them if I give them up um and so for me right now like those are just things that I don't give up like every day almost without fail I'm gonna have myself an English muffin with peanut butter and and butter and some flaxseed um you know I'm gonna have my cottage cheese I'm gonna have like some crunchy salty sweet tavern mix um and because I allow myself those things everyday consumption of them is pretty moderated like there's only a couple times in the past you know six months seven months where I go back and have these things that are my favorites more than once in a day like my body has naturally found a a relationship with them that feels moderate which is great 
the key for all of this though for me has been a commitment to follow through with I'm not going to diet um, this I have to focus on my trust I'm not going to restrict food groups again um, I have to anytime I'm feeling you know like I've heard it described as like a stickiness or um, like anytime I'm feeling some sort of a pull I lean into it until it's either gone or just minimized uh, there's a section uh, to talk a little bit about a different section of the book now. On page seven, uh, there's a section on BMI that there was a couple of things I wanted to read, and um, I'll, I'll just go right from one into the other. For some people, there may be a side effect of weight loss as a consequence of implementing the intuitive eating principles, especially if intuitive eating has helped them get their self-care needs met. Yet it would be a mistake to promote IE for weight loss as it would undermine and interfere with the process because IE is an internally based process, whereas a focus on body weight is externally based. And then uh, there's another sentence that I'm going to skip over. And then the next quote, a recent three-year perspective prospective study illustrates this problem. Women who were trying to lose weight had a reduction in their intuitive eating scores at year three compared to their baseline scores. Furthermore, these women had an increase in binge eating, which is consistent with the body of research linking dieting to binge eating behaviors. Um, I want to just repeat that. Women who were trying to lose weight had a reduction in their intuitive eating scores at at year three. So three years of trying to lose weight and they were less intuitive eating. There was less intuitive eating than there was before. And I see talk within the IF communities. I, you know, I often see people talking about binging behaviors, whether it's during their eating window or maybe they've stopped fasting for a period of time. And I see people talking about binging and I think that is a really unique opportunity to reflect on your motivations for fasting and explore if fasting is part of the problem currently for you. Um, like if if working through the intuitive eating book or you know listening to these podcasts, if that doesn't feel like it's getting you enough clarity, please reach out to me. Um, I offer free coaching, like a one one time free coaching call when people join the Facebook group, or um, you know we could also explore if working together more formally would help you get clarity. But like I feel like if you find yourself with binging tendencies, um, you know assess whether you would like, yeah, just assess if fasting could be part of the problem and maybe a shift, um, a shift towards really focusing on intuitive eating for a while could end up helping you get some clarity on that. Um, the last reflection I want to touch on is on the top of page 10 and this the top of page 10, they were talking about a study that was looking at combining intuitive eating and mindfulness in the work in the workplace to combat problematic eating behaviors. And the the problematic eating behaviors were they they talk about them being unintended consequences of workplace wellness plans because of the focus on weight loss. I this really hit home for me and I wanted to give a couple examples of where this manifested specifically the problematic um, eating behaviors due to a focus on weight loss and in wellness 
at work type stuff. The first job I uh, ever had, there was financial incentives for weight loss. Um, you know, at the start of the year, they would do like a weight loss. I, don't, I wouldn't say it was a competition because it was really a you know competition against yourself, if you will. Like they would set a three month period of time and you would have regular weigh-ins and there was a goal to, you know, lose whether it was like 10 or 25 pounds over that period of time and you would get a certain amount of money at the end based on how much you lost and I was able to participate in that program that incentive program for lack of a better word multiple years and it wasn't that I was losing new weight every time it was that I would lose weight and then gain it back and then I would be able to participate again and honestly like that was it was at that first job that my I don't obsession feels slightly too strong, but not far off. Like weight loss became something that I knew I could succeed at because I could follow the rules of whatever diet I was following at the time. Um, and so that that success every year to start, you know, to start the year was definitely motivational on some level. Um, and then another another works workplace that I've had, um, there has often been a departmental. Uh, sponsored weight loss competition, you know, that people could opt into where it's, it's more of like a biggest loser type competition. And there would be a competition to see who could lose the most weight. And then there was a pot of money that the person who could lose the, the largest body percentage would get all of that money. And it's the same people who participate year after year, rather than maintaining the weight loss, they, they fall into the trap of losing the weight in a way that's not sustainable. And then it comes back. And when I expressed concern and frustration about, you know, the the participation or, you know, the use of company email to promote this thing, um, some of the feedback I got was, you know, they were, the, the person that I was talking to would figure out how to stop dieting after they lost the weight. <laughs> The, the thing is, though, that the commitment to stop dieting has to come first. If you are making a change for the sole purpose of weight loss, I want you to ask yourself this. If you knew that what you were about to try is not going to result in weight loss, would you still want to pursue it? And if the answer isn't almost a 100% yes, yes, I would do this, even if I know that it's not going to lose weight, consider holding off. And discerning a bit more on whether that decision is actually going to help you move in the direction of that intuitive eating lighthouse that I mentioned earlier. Is it going to help you rebuild trust with yourself or is it going to pull you further away? And that question of, you know, if you would still do it, even if you knew there wasn't going to be weight loss, that question has caused so many people I've talked to to just think differently about their behaviors and think differently about um, the path that they're on. And it's been really powerful to see that transformation uh, in the folks that I've spoken to. And, uh, you know, if you have a story you'd like to share, definitely hop over to the Facebook group. I would love to hear how that resonates for you and where you're at. Um, I hope that you have found these reflections helpful and uh, I think that with the next podcast episode I should be able to finish off this chapter. Uh, It looks like we're on page 10 and it looks like this chapter ends on page... 
17. So that'll be my goal to finish up chapter one with the next podcast episode. So I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Please check out the show notes for the links and uh, head on over to the Facebook group to participate in the discussion. And I, I hope you and your loved ones are safe and that you have an amazing day. Thanks again for listening to the Intuitively Intermittent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you may be wondering what happens next. Whenever you are ready, here are three additional ways I can support you. First, head over to the Intuitively Intermittent Facebook group. It's made up of people just like you and is a safe space in which to find support and ask questions. Second, the group coaching program based upon my Freedom for Life framework starts up several times a year. The best place to stay informed about that will be in the Facebook group as well. Please share your interest and your email address in the entry questions for the group. Lastly, I do work with a limited number of one-on-one coaching clients. If you resonate with me and my message and want to see if working together is a good fit, please send an email to hello at thiswellseasonedlife.com and I'll reach out to you to set up a time to talk. Enjoy the rest of your day, and remember, your value as a person cannot be measured in inches and pounds.